Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Our very own worship pastor, Kevin Canterbury, has a message titled, Experiencing Freedom and Faithfulness in Christ. Join us in John chapter 10, verse 10. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Well, this morning, we are going to launch a little two-part series um, that we've put together, and I'm going to do this week. Pastor Matt's going to finish it up next week, and it's called Living in Abundance, as you can see. And we want to talk about something that we've talked about as a staff for a long time, and I know has been on Pastor Ben's heart for quite a while. Even when I came to this church and we were just having those initial conversations and getting to know each other, he had talked about this ministry that he really felt was a need that we wanted to start. So it's been a need in our community here in Vail, especially over this last year. People have experienced job loss and all kinds of stuff. And so this is a ministry that we typically use a word uh, recovery to describe. And what's hard about using a word like that is that oftentimes we will place it in a category over here and say, well, that's for, that's for those people. Recovery's for somebody else. It's not from me. But what I want to show you guys this morning and what Pastor Matt's going to show you next week is that this is something that really applies to all of us no matter where we're at. Because here's the thing, even if you're not going down that road right now or you haven't been there yourself, every single person in this room has been touched in their life by somebody who's experienced addiction or had to go through some kind of recovery and you've seen their life fall apart. This is something that touches all of us. And so what I'm going to do is walk you through this and what I think God's plan is for us to live in abundance. And we're going to focus on a passage, John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. I'm going to set that up for you right now, tell you a story, then we're going to read it. So what's happening in John chapter 10, verse 10? Jesus has just healed a man who was blind from birth. That's in chapter 9. The religious teachers questioned the man who was healed. They questioned his parents and his friends. And then they turned their questioning to Jesus. Jesus, of course, uh, always gives the answer that he's the son of God, right? So you kind of feel bad for him um, when they do that, but... Jesus tells the parable of the good shepherd and he compares these religious leaders to the thieves and the robbers and the wolves because they're the people that want their own good and they want to take advantage of these other people. And so that's the the context and the story that we're looking at this morning. So a couple years ago, my wife and I celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. We are uh, this May going to celebrate 16 years and we decided, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. Come on. <laughs> and uh, we decided that every five years we would do a really special trip and just kind of go above and beyond what we usually do. And so uh, last, our last 10-year anniversary, we decided we were going to do a California bucket list. We were living there at the time. And so um, we were going to go to Yosemite and we were going to hike Half Dome, which is really awesome if you guys ever get the opportunity to do that. Then we were going to drive down the coast of California 
um, on Highway 1, right? That's it. And then we were going to end our time by going on a cruise. So we were going we to burn calories, and then we were going to get them all back on the cruise, right? <laughs> now, I, I will say, if you guys ever do this, one of the things we didn't think about was after you've climbed Half Dome and done that hike, you pull yourself up these cables to get up there. My legs were killing me. There's a lot of steps. And you get on a cruise ship, there's a lot of stairs when you go on a cruise. So we're, we're on this boat like, oh, pulling ourselves up. But it was a blast. So I did what a lot of you guys have probably done. And I rented a car. We were going to take this car down there. But I rented the economy car because a lot of times when you rent cars, uh, they don't have the economy cars in stock, especially if you're in an area where there's a lot of business travelers and there's just not a market for that. Our city was pretty small. We had one rental place. I drove by it every day, never had economy cars. I thought, I'll rent that. We'll get, we'll get a nice, you know, at least a full-size sedan. It'll be great, and we'll pay less. So guess what happened? We got back from Half Dome. We go to pick up that car, and they're like, hey, good news. We've got an economy car for you. It's this tiny little car, and it's like, oh, man. So we drove down the coast of California. I think it was a Chevy Spark, if I remember. It was a tiny car. We had fun, but it was not exactly what I thought it was going to be, right? I say that because all of us like upgrades, don't we? We all want more than what we pay for. Exactly. We all want more than what we bargained for. We want a deal. So a lot of you guys go to you know, buy a car, and we all want to get something better than what the last guy got. We want to think that when we go into the car dealership, they're giving us a price that nobody else has ever gotten. Right? Now, what's the truth? You're paying exactly what they want you to pay because they're on to your tricks and they'll throw all those things. Oh, we'll give you that. Oh, don't leave. We'll give you the... Yeah. They know what's going on, but it doesn't, it doesn't uh, change the fact that after you buy that car, you're going to go tell all your friends and all your family about the deal that you got. I got the best deal ever. We all want more than we bargained for. We want upgrades. Well, this morning, Jesus wants to upgrade your life, to give you life beyond what you already have experienced, overflowing life. So whatever standard you have, he wants to give you something beyond your expectations. Whatever you've got your sights set on, Jesus wants to give you a new vision. He wants to give you more. So what exactly does it mean to live in abundance. Well, let's look at John 10.10. Let's read that. We're going to actually start in verse 7. Jesus says this. So Jesus said to them, I tell you the solemn truth. I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and he will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's some really great stuff in this passage right here. A lot of great stuff that happens in this story. And again, I told you there's a story about a blind man. Pastor Met's going to tie that in next week and really dive into what that story means. Uh, But I want to focus on that last verse, to live abundantly, that they may have it abundantly. Jesus came to inaugurate, to bring the kingdom, 
to bring freedom to the captive, to declare the good news to the poor. And you see, the religious leaders are like the, the thieves and the robbers. They oppress, they confine, they destroy, they oppose, they diminish. They actively work against the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. They try to take the kingdom of God by force on their own terms. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So what is abundant life and how do we know when we've got abundant life? Well, I believe that the mark of abundant life is this. It's a life that overflows to others out of the abundance of God's overflowing love for us. It's a life that overflows. It's a life that's content, beyond fulfilled. A life that has margin in it for others. It's a life that gives. You see, I love this because we see this in the Godhead. We confess as Christians in the Trinitarian God, the God who is three persons, co-equal in one. And God in these three persons has existed eternally. And this love that exists within the Godhead poured out within those members and those persons. And I'll never forget, that's such a hard concept to, to get at any time, right? The Trinity and what that means. But I'll never forget when just that little thing clicked for me and I realized that a God who loves must have someone to share that love with. And God has been sharing that love within himself within the Godhead eternally. God didn't create us because he had a need for us. We were created because of the outpouring and the overflow of God's love that existed eternally. And so we are the recipients of that overflowing love that God has for us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he loved us first. And so it is in that abundance of God's love perfectly realized in the Godhead and perfectly embodied in the person of Jesus Christ that we, by God's mercy and grace, share in that same fellowship. What an incredible thought. So the mark of an abundant life is a life that overflows to others. It's a life that experiences peace and contentment and satisfaction as a result of being filled with God's love. So do you have margin in your life for others? Or are you consumed with your own needs? Do you have the ability to give out of the measure of what you received, whether it's financially, whether it's your time, emotionally, spiritually? Are you able to give to others? I would say if the answer is no, you are not living the abundant life that Christ wants you to live. So what keeps us from experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus promises? Well, here are the thieves and the robbers. These are the stealers of life. And the first one is this. It's dissatisfaction. It's the feeling that I can't get enough. The pursuit of everything for the sake of nothing. You see, highly dissatisfied people are marked by bitterness, by unrest, jealousy, anxiety, and when we don't believe that God is enough, that he is our portion, we are robbed of the fullness of abundance of living as God's son and daughters. We are heirs of the king, right? We are his sons and daughters. 
And so ungrateful, dissatisfied people cannot reciprocate or embody God's love to others. Dissatisfaction can be magnified by what I call the drudgery of existence. Unless you're one of the rare exceptions to the rules, most of us live lives that are filled with a lot of mundane, routine tasks. You gotta be completed day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And if your life lacks purpose, then that can really get to you, that grind. Without purpose, day-to-day existence can overwhelm us and lead to cynicism and to regret. And these feelings are made even worse when we share life with another person or with people who carry an equal or greater cynicism about life. And then finally, there's the hope of having enough until the end. This is our desire to store up enough for our own good and for the good of our, our family and for the security and safety. You see, as image bearers, we have the unique ability to weigh the present needs against the hope of future needs. And sometimes, because we know what's coming, we get in this mindset of just taking everything and keeping it for ourselves because I gotta have enough. If I wanna live a happy, full life, I gotta store it up now. So, I think this is really illustrated well um, with the amount, of, <laughs> the amount of storage space in America. Now, I don't think this is an American problem, so I don't say this to, to, to rag on Americans. I think you see it here because we have a lot more. But this is a heart problem that everybody experiences worldwide. This is not unique to us. But think about this. There are 2.3 billion square feet of storage in America alone. This is extra storage, okay? That is seven square feet for every man, woman, and child in our nation of extra storage. Just to put stuff that we're like, I'm gonna hold on to that, might need it, right? There are more empty bedrooms in America than there are kids waiting to be placed in homes. Far more. I mean, it's not like a few more. It's like two or three times as many empty bedrooms in our nation because of that. That illustrates this idea that the hope of having enough till the end. I've got to get as much as I can for myself and for my loved ones. I've got to take care of us first. Jesus says in Matthew 33 and 34 something that's absolutely counter to this idea. But above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So then, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Listen, I think it's good. I think you've got to prepare and plan for the future. But when it becomes the sole point of your life, when everything is about how you're going to spend those last years or how your family is going to survive and do all these things and you don't trust God, when he becomes plan B instead of plan A, you're not living that fullness of life. You're not living the abundant life and you don't have the margin in your life to pour out into others. We were created to experience the overflowing, life-giving love of God, and when by our own actions or by prevailing circumstances we fail to fully trust and depend on God, we will always look for something else to fill the void. There's one more thing 
in here, there's one more stealer of life, and it's grief and loss. Sometimes sudden grief and loss. And for some, this loneliness and the pain that accompanies loss becomes this overwhelming and crippling burden in our life, and we can't move beyond it. It's out of our control. And so we look. We look for places to fill the void in our life because we are wired to fill that void. We know it's there. We want more, and we'll look for that. So where do people look for life? Well, three areas that they look for life. The first one is pleasure. This is the pursuit of an adrenaline rush or an endorphin hit. This is where we find uh, people looking to uncommitted sexual relationships or pornography or to substance abuse. These are the things that we tend to think about when we use the word addiction. One thing that someone who's gone down this road knows well is what Solomon experienced. I put these references in there. You guys should read these on your own if you've never read Ecclesiastes. But what he experienced is what we call the law of diminishing returns, right? Anybody that's gone down this road knows that you're always trying to get back to that first experience, aren't you? That first hit, that first high. But you never can. You never do it. It's the law of diminishing returns. The next one is this. It's performance. It's the feeling of accomplishment and power that comes from dominating your sphere of life. It's the need to get ahead and always be at the top of your game. What people who do this think is if I can be the absolute best, if I can win, I'll never have to experience failure. Anybody that's gone down this road knows there's always somebody better than you are, right? There's always somebody better than you. And then finally, we look to possessions. We say, if I can fill my life with enough stuff, I'll never lack anything. Um, when I got out of college, I worked for an electrical contract, contracting company in Phoenix. And we would do service calls at people's houses. And the one thing that surprised me the most was the number of people out there that are hoarders. Oh, my goodness. You would drive up to the nicest house in the nicest part of Scottsdale. And as soon as that door opened, and you could just smell it. And you're like, oh. And look at the, the guys working with me. Hoarders, you know. And you go into these people's houses, and there's all kinds of different people that do this. Uh, some of you have seen the TV show. I know that. Just statistically speaking, some of you in here are hoarders, just saying. Um, and <laughs> the stuff is piled up, and you're just kind of, they, they built these trails. I was in a house once where they were hoarding food. It was stacked up on the counter all the way to the ceiling. Rotten food. Okay? Now, we look at it, and we go, how in the world does somebody get to that place? Well, something's gone seriously wrong, hasn't it? They have experienced dissatisfaction, probably loss in their life, tremendous loss, and they've tried to fill that void, and they've gone, if I, just, if I can just get enough of this, I'll always be okay. It's a symptom of something being really wrong. And by the way, I have to say this, another thing about the hoarding situation. I just have to say it. There is a direct correlation between the number of cats you have. I'm sorry. If there's a bunch of cats outside, I'm like, yep. I don't know what it is. So perhaps you've gone down some of these roads in your own life. Or at the very least, you've seen somebody else that you know and love go down this road, whether it's a spouse 
or a parent or a child or a close friend, somebody that you care about who has looked to one of these three areas to find something to fill that void in their life. And they've gotten stuck in this rut. They start doing things that don't make logical sense to anybody else. And they get in this mindset and this pattern of addiction and they can't get out of it. And see, addiction is when we've moved beyond trying to to find those things, pleasure, performance, and possessions, and now we're simply just trying to numb ourselves and not feel anything. We just want to shut off from life. The brain is complex and it's intricate. It's capable of so many amazing things. I mean, our brains can process information like that. Our brains can take all that sensory input that's coming in all the time and make sense of it and allow us to have the meaningful relationships and experience uh, each other in meaningful ways. It's amazing. And yet our brains are so easily given over to dependence. So easy to give over to dependence. And a little becomes a lot. A lot becomes an idol or a little God that demands everything that we have, everything. All of our relationships, all of our time, all of our money. I think the imagery that the psalmist uses a lot about the pit is really profound. Uh, Psalm 41 through two says this, I relied completely on the Lord and he turned toward me and he heard my cry for help. He lifted me up out of the watery pit out of the slimy mud. And he placed my feet on a rock and gave me secure footing. Church, why is it that so many of us come to the cross, we place our trust in Jesus for our salvation, we receive that gift by God's grace, how is it that so many of us never experience the abundant life that Jesus bought for us? Last week, I saw a video that was circulating around. I think it really provides some insight into this question. It has no sound. Here it is. <laughs> Listen, you can kneel at the cross. You can ask Jesus to take away your sins. You can get the ticket to heaven. But if you never get up from the cross and you never walk into the life of freedom and wholeness that Jesus bought for you, or you simply just turn around and go right back into the pit that you just got saved from, you're missing out on that abundant, overflowing life that Jesus purchased for you because it's not just about eternity. It is about the here and the now and experiencing the kingdom of God and the freedom that it brings for us and for others now. It is like you're a prisoner and your penalty has been paid. Jesus has come and he's unlocked the door to your prison cell, but you stay in there. Thanks, Jesus, but I like my prison cell. It's comfortable to me. It provides a false sense of safety because nobody else can get to me, right? And we'll just stay right there in that prison cell. We sang that song earlier, Glorious Day, and there's a line in there, right? 
You called my name and I ran out of that grave. And I think some of us just stay right there in that grave. Jesus left that grave. So my question to you is, are you living that abundant life this morning? Have you chosen to walk out of that grave? So what does it have to do with me? I've got three things. The first one is this, as I just said, you have to choose to walk into the abundant life that Christ offers. It does not just come to you. You have to walk into it. You got to turn away from your sins. We call that repentance. And you've got to walk into that new life. Number two, you cannot help others experience abundant life if you don't have any margin in your own life. Maybe you're fortunate. Maybe you haven't experienced significant loss in your life. Maybe uh, the people that are around you who you were entrusted into their care made wise decisions. And so maybe you're doing pretty well. You got things planned out for you, the people that you love, the people that you care about. But that's about it. You don't have any margin in your life. It's just all consumed by you. You can't help others experience that if you don't have margin in your life. God wants you to share that overflowing love that he gave to you with others. And then finally, you cannot pull yourself out of the pit. You can't do it. You need somebody to come alongside you and to help you. You can only do it by the the power of the Holy Spirit and by the community of people that come around you and rally around you to help you through that process. And so if you're in that pit this morning, if you're in that place where you know, I want to experience this, I want to walk in freedom, but I know I'm too far down that road and I need somebody to come alongside me and walk with me through that journey. So I told you we have this ministry that we're going to be launching. It's a recovery ministry. We're calling it For Life. And I think that, again, this is not something that I want you to put into the category of somebody else. Either you are the person who has the margin or is going to put the margin in your life to help somebody else, to help them walk into that abundant life, or you're the kind of person who says, I need help. I need somebody to help me out of the pit that I'm in. I need somebody to walk beside me in this journey who knows what it's like. And so either one of those things, this is for you. And so next week, May 2nd, at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a, uh, what I call a vision casting meeting where I'm going to lay out what this ministry is going to look like, uh, when we're going to meet, all those different things. You guys are going to get to meet the leadership, and we're going to talk about how this is going to unfold. But I want you guys to think about this. There are people in this church right now, in this room, who are experiencing grief and loss and pain who are stuck in this place. They may not look like it, but they are. They will be transformed by this ministry. Right now, they're in here. And I want you to think about the people that are in our community who are experiencing and going through this. We've seen so much hurt over the last year. Um, You know, my heart breaks with uh, all the stuff that's happened in our schools, all the loss there. I believe our community needs this. But before, <laughs> before we can offer that to our community, we need people to step up and say, 
I want to walk with somebody through this journey. I want to be a part of helping them experience abundant life. So last thing we're going to do, um, there are two people that have stepped up that I've gotten to know, and we, Pastor Ben has been working with, who are going to lead this ministry, and it's Kevin Fugate and Krista Gipton, and they have stepped out in courage and sat down with me this week, and I got a chance to just sit down with them and give you a glimpse of their testimony and what they uh, have gone through in their lives. And what I want you to see as you listen to it is the pattern that we've been talking about, how they were in this place and how people and by the power of God in their lives, they were able to get out of it. And now they are going to overflow and pour that into other people. Let's watch that video right now. In 2003, my, uh, my dad was playing golf um, and he had a heart attack on the 10th hole. I didn't feel like I had a good place to go to grieve through that loss. And I didn't have a good group of people around me to, um, to uh, express the feelings I had. And so a lot of it, um, when you're in, in college and, and you're at that time, there's just a lot of uh, alcohol and sex and drugs that are just part of that that age period and um, that's how I responded to a lot of the grief that I was going through. Five months after my dad passed away I was at a work Christmas party and on my way home I didn't stop at a stop sign I made a right hand turn without stopping completely behind me there was a police officer who pulled me over and he got a DUI. At the time I was going through uh, a lot of brokenness and, and grieving, um, it was a real struggle because I wasn't part of a church at all. I had, um, just didn't have a community of believers to be around. Since I've become a believer, um, I think that really uh, just been able to uh, find a group of other people to share my life with, share um, struggles and brokenness. I think uh, having abundant life is having peace with God that even um, you have a past that's broken or has pieces that you, you may be ashamed from, that there's a God that loves you and cares about you. The road to brokenness for me uh, started when I was 13. I had my first drink and um, I went to an after-school function intoxicated, but nobody could tell, only I knew. So at the, it felt like I was putting on kind of like superhero armor um, because it gave me confidence that I didn't have um, before that. It got to the point where um, I would go a lot of places uh, intoxicated early in life and for whatever reason nobody could tell and then into adulthood uh, it stayed the same I had this confidence that I thought was um, was helping me I thought I was in control the whole time right like no it's my armor I get to put it on when I want to and I could take it off anytime um, and the truth is I, I couldn't take it off uh, and it started dictating everything. Um, I couldn't go to social functions without having anything, you know, without 
pre-partying or having alcohol in me. March 12th, or March 11th, sorry, 2014, um, I drank an entire bottle of Fireball, went to work, uh, picked up my girls after school, took them to dance, came home, cooked dinner, and passed out cold at the dinner table. March 12th, 2014, I started AA. Um, and I haven't had a drink since, so I just celebrated seven years of sobriety. You think that in church is where we should be able to pour out our shame. I mean, it's the more now that I've learned about Jesus, it's exactly where we should be able to. It's exactly where I did not want to, right? Like, I felt like there was a peace that was not welcome, that um, I was afraid that if people knew that, then there's no way that you can belong to God if this is a piece of you that you have. And about a month into my sobriety, I was driving home uh, from work, and that song, Broken Things, uh, from Matthew West, came on something just said pull over and so I pulled over to the side of the road and I heard Jesus say I, I have you like, it's okay I have you and I remember for the first time just like and I just cried and cried but it was the first time that it was it was tears of relief like okay I don't have to I don't have to carry this anymore you will carry this and he has and he's pulled people around me and I have been so fortunate um I have a really strong group of uh you know girlfriends who aren't even in town um who I know for a fact I could call instantly if I ever you know if if I need it um and I do use that uh there's no way you could there's no way you could do this alone It takes such courage and bravery to, to share your story in front of the church. I want to thank them for that. That is, uh, that's what we need to do, guys. Share our stories and our struggles with each other because it lifts people out of that pit. And so I encourage you guys next week, 6 o'clock at this meeting, to come hear what this ministry is going to be about. All of us can play a part in it. And one thing we can all do today is be in prayer for this ministry, that God would use it to transform our community. Be in prayer for those people in our community and in our church that are in that place right now where they're experiencing brokenness and they're the absolute worst of it right now. That God would use it to reach somebody. Maybe you know somebody in your own life who's going through that and could be impacted by this ministry. God wants us to live that abundant life. So Kevin and Krista will be out in the courtyard. If you have any questions or you want to talk to them, they're going to be out at a table. And uh, I just encourage you to stop by and say hi to them and see what's going on. Let's pray. Jesus, you, you purchased life for us, but it, it's not just life in the hereafter, God. It's life now. It's freedom and abundance now. And so, God, I pray for anybody who's here this morning who is experiencing brokenness or hurt in their life or they're, they're looking to these places to try to fill those voids in their life. God, I just pray you'd, you'd bring people around them, surround them with godly people who can walk this journey with them. We know that when we live that abundant life and we flow into others, the love that you've given to us just overflows and pours out, God. It is contagious, and others want what we have. And so I pray that by your spirit, you would empower us to live that way, to get up and to walk 
into a life of freedom and abundance this morning. We ask this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.